success leaves clues, and at the Humans of Imperial podcast, we search for those clues in the stories of our alumni around the world. I'm Chris Roberts, and in this final episode of the series, I catch up with Imperial MBA graduate, now management consultant, Stanley Cookie. Stanley helps governments and businesses solve complex problems. And in this episode, we discuss his motivations for pursuing an MBA and how having a strong value system can guide you in life as well as in business. Here's an insight into this week's episode. I think I've always had an attraction to problems that seemed impossible to solve or difficult to solve. And I think that has defined my life and my career path so far. I would say I'm someone who finds joy in solving problems. I think the design of the MBA and particular Imperial is one that just allows you to grow and nurture those relationships and give you skills to actually do so in a very productive and long-lasting way. I think it ties to my personal mission, which is to help make people's lives better economically, health-wise, and socially. One of the days when consultants will sit in a very dark space and develop solutions and answers, nobody cares about that anymore. Nobody will take that answer from you. You need to co-create your answer with your clients. One of the key watchwords are integrity, conscientiousness, diligence. Whatever you're going to do, you need to make sure you do it as well as possible, regardless of what happens, regardless of who's looking or who's not looking. But I think there are three main issues with uh, the healthcare system in the UK. I think the first is... This is my conversation with Stanley Cookie. Stanley, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Why don't we start with a bit of an introduction from yourself, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself too. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, I th- think to describe myself, I would have to go back to when I was five, and I would often pick up old electronics in my house that were broken, and I would uh, how try to think about how to fix them. I think I've always had an attraction to problems that seemed impossible to solve or difficult to solve. And I think that has defined my life and my career path so far. I would say I'm someone who finds joy in solving problems and making sure that those problems are solved result in meaningful changes to people's lives. So I remember once when I had an old radio that I had just gone by in my house and my brother would often want to listen to the radio, but it would just not work. And I would pick it up and try to play around with it. I pretty much had no idea what I was doing, but I think eventually I got a knack of it and I was able to fix it and seeing the joy in my brother's face when he could use the radio. Mm-hmm. I think that was a defining moment in my life and I thought, I want to keep doing this at a much broader scale, at a much larger scale. And that has sort of helped me make decisions in my life and helped me get to where I am currently. So I would say I am someone who enjoys solving problems. I grew up in a family of three, and my mom and my dad died when I was very young. And I think my mom's influence had helped shape my life. And um, there's a lot of 
testament to her the impact in my life and that led me to um a career in medicine growing up in Nigeria and decided at some point I didn't want to practice medicine anymore and venture into consulting and getting into Imperial and ended up in London. <laughs> I think that's a long-winded way to say I someone who enjoys solving problems. I'm someone who likes seeing the impact of the solutions that I help create and I'm someone who wants to help create as much change as I can in the world before I have to leave. Hmm. Well, obviously, we're going to talk through a lot of that. We'll talk to your time in Imperial and, and your career and things. But uh, before before we do, I just want to kind of highlight, I like that word joy that you said. I think a lot of people forget about having joy in what you do and the work that you do. And people think work can be, you know, you've got to go to work, you've got to find a job, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. But actually, finding joy in what you do is really important. No, absolutely, Chris. I think it's really important. I think there was a point in my career where I figured I really wasn't getting as much joy as I was from, from the job I was currently doing. And mm-hmm. it gave me pause. And I think that was the most critical factor in me deciding to choose a different career path. Because mm-hmm. I think it's important that if you're going to commit your life to doing something every day, you need to derive some joy from it. And mm-hmm. that joy could come from the day-to-day processes. It could also come from the results that you eventually get to see once in a while when you deliver on your results. Well, let's go back. Um, so I want to I want to hear about what you did before you decided to go to Imperial. So can you talk us through your career up to the point you came to Imperial? Uh, yeah. So when I was 13, I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, haha, that didn't go so well. <laughs> but I ended up uh, getting to medical school. I graduated. I did practice for about a year as a general practitioner back in Nigeria. And my goal was to get into anesthesia as a resident. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, you know, I could do something different. I could uh, try to make my impact in the world in a much broader scale than seeing one patient at a time, which I think is noble work. But mm-hmm. at that point, I didn't think it was for me. So I went into consulting. I worked with a Nigerian-based consulting firm that had projects all over Africa. It was called Solida Health. Mm. And I joined as an analyst back in 2015. It was a very exciting time in my life. I got to do work that was quite different from the traditional medicine, medical practice that I had been used to. And I gave myself a target, really. I thought, I'm going to succeed in this role. I'm not just succeed. I'm going to succeed more than anyone who's come through before me. And I put in my best. I would say that. And I was able to make manager in the record time. And I went on to serve in that capacity, got promoted to senior manager. And then I thought, it's time for something different. I need to broaden my scale, broaden my horizon, mm-hmm. and you know, just take some time off to recalibrate my brain. And that led to my decision to go to my MBA. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to talk about that, but in deciding where to go to my MBA, I think Imperial was top of that choice. Hmm. And I'm happy to talk through the decisions that led me to Imperial at some point. Yeah, well, let's do that. I mean, obviously, you've given a good background. You, you started it with a medical background, uh, had some experience as a GP. Um, when you joined Selena, you you literally went 
you had a really good path through that company, didn't you? Where you were promoted fairly regularly and went up to a fairly senior position, and then you decided to go to to Imperial. So, what were you, what were your goals when you decided to do an MBA? What were you what were you looking to do? Well, uh, I would say there are three main things that I was looking to get out of the MBA. The first was some headspace. I wanted to. I'd gone through the motions over the last couple of years in my life, and I thought. Let's just take a step back and think about what we really want in terms of mm. our broader outlook in life, our vision, and just think really. Because I had I was just working day to day and never had time to just that strategic thinking about what I wanted to do in life. So that was the first thing that I got the MBA. The second thing was to gain some international exposure. Most of my career had been focused in Africa. I just worked in on projects mostly in Africa, and I wanted to see the world in a professional way and be able to add that international exposure to my portfolio. And the third thing I really wanted out of the MBA was to grow my network. Mm. I think the MBA is an excellent platform to exponentially grow one's professional personal network in a way that it's I think cannot be achieved with many other programs because I think the design of the MBA and particular Imperial is one that just allows you to grow and nurture those relationships and give you skills to actually do so in a very productive and long-lasting way. So I knew this going in and I thought I was going to maximize that opportunity. And I Mm. thought if I could get three things done, Mm. I'm golden. I think the other things around building your knowledge around how to use these skills and um, frameworks that I saw in the MBA were important. Mm-hmm. But for me, those are the three most important things that made me decide to do an MBA. No, I love those three things because this is the reason I love them. Um, people think going to study, going to do an MBA, that the entire benefit you're going to get from it is the education, the knowledge, the skills, that kind of thing. But actually, the lasting things that you take away from doing something like, like an MBA are things like your network, your international experience, things like that, things that aren't necessarily part of the package, if that makes sense. And it's funny you mentioned your network because networking seems to have become a bit of a theme on this podcast and every guest I've spoken to has mentioned the value and the importance of their network and the importance of building it. So, I mean, I mean, did you achieve those goals? How, how did your network go um, when you got here? You know, before I joined the MBA, I did some networking. I was a senior manager. Mm-hmm. I had to grow client relationships. So I did have some experience in growing my network professionally and personally as well. But I think the deliberateness, if that's a word, mm-hmm. <laughs> in how the MBA approaches networking was amazing and eye-opening. I'll tell you a couple of examples. Before we started, two Two months or six weeks before we started the program, there was a session on how to build a network. I thought it was, okay, probably teach me that I didn't know. <laughs> but I came out of that, of that session with a renewed approach to how to approach uh, networking. And I think that really helped. But the most life-changing moments in how I approached networking happened when we had a session with uh, some some guy called Joe, sorry, I can't remember his last name, but we had a session on networking. 
And the things that he said, the knowledge that he impacted, the practice, practical things that we did in that session, I think it changed my life. And I know a lot of things I could say about that have changed my life so far. And it made me move from seeing networking as a transactional thing mm-hmm. to something that was two-way, something that provided benefit to both people and gave you practical tips on how to do that. And I would say I had built on that session going forward. Mm-hmm. And that helped me in multiple ways. I got my first job through networking, and I'm happy to talk to you about that. I've no, definitely, yeah. Lasting relationships through networking. And I think I have friends from my program that I would call friends for life. And that was through a deliberate act to grow those and nurture those relationships. Mm. You're totally right. I like the, the the point about two-way networking. I think sometimes people can be under the impression that networking is, I want to get something. So for example, I mean, trying to organize, trying to connect with somebody in a company you're interested in for maybe a coffee chat or something like that. It's If you approach that situation as, I want something from you, that's not going to go very far because someone who doesn't know you, doesn't know anything about you, you know, it, it's just not going to work. But if you treat your network as a two-way thing, if you treat your network as making friends with people too and kind of building relationships with people, you might not get anything right there and then. But from my point of view, that's not the point of networking. It's not It's not for right now. It's for the future. It's it's for when, you know, when we're connected later on in the future. So I really like that point as well. But talk us through that job because I'm really interested to hear about that. How did you, how did you get that first job? I mean, it was March, uh, four months or five months into my program. And just to, for some context, mm-hmm. by January, many people start getting job offers in the MBA. Mm-hmm. And these are typically entry-level roles or graduate or MBA-level entry roles. And I think there's some pressure at some point to want to get an offer as soon as possible. I was told by my career counselor that I should not expect to get an offer very early because I would be looking for experienced higher roles. Mm. But I think there's some nervousness that comes in when you begin to see your colleagues get offers and you, you did not. But I, I gave myself time. I thought I was just going to focus on building my relationships, my networks, and I'll see what comes out of that. So I reached out to a couple of people that I thought were in the fields that I wanted to get into, which was consulting. Mm-hmm. And I would often connect with someone on LinkedIn and I would say, hey, we both went to Imperial. I'd like to check about your time here. And I uh, will talk about their experiences here, what they enjoy, whether they're Imperial, what I'm currently going through and how you know, our shared experiences could enrich each other's lives. And by doing that, I met with someone who was a connection, a mutual connection to someone that worked in a company that I thought I wanted to get in. So I reached out to this person that I had not a relationship over uh, the last couple of weeks or days. And I said, hey, I see you have a connection with Miss XYZ. Mm. Working in a field that I think is really interesting and I'd like to get into, could you introduce me? And I said, sure, and wrote a uh message this other person saying hey this is stanley he's uh, imperial and having a great time would you be open to speaking to him and he said, oh yeah sure and then i had a formal introduction and i said talk talked about my background and said uh hey the work you're doing at cf is great and i would like to um 
have the opportunity to apply, would you be open to reviewing my application and possibly sending in my, my CV to recruit? And I said, sure, great, send it over to me. And I did that. And they gave me some tips on how to review my application and handed in my um, application to the HR. I got a call a couple of days after went through the interview process mm-hmm. and got in. Uh, when I got in, I think that person also was a support in the firm because I would often lean on their experience and uh, get some advice from them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that really helped me both in, in settling in into a new work environment, a new work culture, mm-hmm. but also securing the job. So I think that's one relationship I'm going to keep um, nurturing. Mm-hmm. It's a really good example as well. It's 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 nice. I mean, people are often surprised at how responsive people are when you reach out like that. And, you know, you 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 do have a sort of, not ulterior motive, that sounds bad, but you have a motivation, you have a goal and an outcome that you're looking for. But people often are responsive to people and people have experience of it themselves. It's it's unlikely someone's going to say no if you message them and say, can we have a chat about what you do? No, absolutely. I think my my response rate when I uh, connect with people at LinkedIn has gone up exponentially. I think there are, there are two approaches that I use. The first is if I find that you are a very interesting person I'd like to connect with, and we don't have any mutual connection that I've grown a relationship with, I would go through your profile in detail, mm-hmm. look for shared experiences that we have, and I would say, hey, I see that you had worked on XYZ projects. I did something very similar, and this was my experience. Or I see that you liked this kind of game. I also do. I know someone who does, and I'd like to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. that opener that builds on shared experiences, shared interests, I think is, is really important. The second way I do it is to look for someone who knows you and whom I have built a connection with. And I would say, hey, I see that you know this person. We mm-hmm. both like X, Y, Z, or we both did X, Y, Z. Could you make an introduction? Mm-hmm. And most times, once you've built a relationship with your current connection, they would be really happy to introduce you. And once they do, the response rate is much higher. Mm-hmm. You know, people can say no too. It's one of those things. Like, it's like, don't be scared to reach out to people in case they say no, because what's the worst? Like, that's the worst thing that could happen. That's not that big a deal. Like, use my absolutely like, not. I mean, I did connect with a couple of. At some point, I was thinking about going the Google route. And I did connect with a bunch of uh, folks at Google. And initially, I was just getting, like, I'd be, I send a request and there's no response. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it personally. I, I figured people have got, uh, at some point, they've probably been in a phase of their life where they're not looking to grow the connection with you because they haven't seen the potential or the the reason to. Or it might be that they're just busy and just never saw the, the request. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think once you position yourself in the right on the right footing by applying the right networking approaches mm. and coming to you with a positive mindset i think that's sort of as the best you can do and whatever happens beyond that is up to the other person and the circumstances between which you connected yeah, yeah. i mean i get messages occasionally myself and to be now that i think about it i don't think i've ever not replied to a message unless i get a message that's very salesy and you're clearly being kind of targeted for something that's totally irrelevant and it's very it's they're trying to sell you something i'm not going to reply to those but if a person messages me I, like 99 times out of 100 i'll reply to it 100 times out of 100 to be honest so it's not that strange that someone would reply but you mentioned cf so why don't we push forward and talk about what it is you're doing at the moment um so you said you didn't 
you didn't necessarily apply directly. You went through a network to get to that position. Okay, two questions, really. What was it that drew your, drew your attention, first of all, to want to make that connection? And can you then talk us through what it is you're doing at the moment? I was, I think I was attracted to CF for two reasons. The first was the nature of the company. It was similar to what I had done in the past, small, mm. uh, family-like, I think, one where you could actually connect with people. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it was kind of work that they did. They did a lot of uh, consulting in the life sciences and the health system strengthening space, which were things that I had experience in, but also mm-hmm. had interest in. I wanted to help solve problems for health systems, make it better, and also help improve outcomes. I think it ties to my personal mission, which is to help make people's lives better economically, health-wise, and socially. So I thought whatever opportunities I'm going to get into needs to help me contribute to that. And the work that CF does actually makes meaningful impact in changing people's lives, in strengthening health systems and making sure that the people live healthier and companies get better in terms of their business outlook and mm. how they relate with their population. There is something in that as well, isn't there? I mean, you can be intentional with what you want to do and working out, you know, the kind of industry you want to work in, the type of role you want to have. It, it puts that power in your hands to then reach out to people who are doing those sort of roles and identify the kinds of companies you're interested in because you could have got, probably got a job anyway, but you've actively gone out to the industry you're interested in to do the kind of work that you wanted to do. Yes, Chris. I think uh, when you have enough time, to figure out what you want to do, which was one of the things I talked about, headspace, mm. to think about what I really wanted to do. I think that gives you clarity and gives you leverage in terms of mm. deciding or being purposeful about what you really want to do, where you really want to end up. Uh, at some point in the MBA program, and I think many uh, future or current students will probably experience this, there would be a pressure to want to get an offer as soon as possible. Mm. If you can resist that, you're probably going to end up in the most uh, desirable place. If you can resist that, make a list of what is my strategy? What is my my life's vision? What's my my goal, a long-term plan? Uh, What will help me get there in terms of the things that I do, the kind of work that I do, kind of people I work with? Mm. What are the companies that could help me get to that position? Make a list and figure out, go through all of the companies, do your research, figure out what companies would help me fit in this profile of what I really mm-hmm. want to do and how can I get there? And then talk to people as well. I think one of the most overlooked things when you're doing a job search is the company culture. Many people often look at the, the portfolio of the company, the profile of the company and say, hey, I want to work here, I want to work out. XYZ company because they're big, they do XYZ projects. But when you work in a company day to day, I think one of the most impactful things in your life is company culture. And if the culture isn't right for you, you probably have a very difficult time working there. Mm. I think culture is hugely important. And I think it's one of those areas as well where it's become more prominent. And we're kind of in a in a situation now where people can decide 
on the company they want to work for as well as the other way around. So people ask in interviews, for example, about, about what the culture's like and try to get an impression of it. And they will turn down job offers if they don't think the culture's a good fit. I don't think it was like that before, but I think that's a good change. I think that there does need to be emphasis on, you know, you want to be happy where you are and you, we want to know that you fit in and you're going to get on with people there and you're going to enjoy working for that company. So yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a really good point. Can I ask you to give us an example of the kind of work that you're doing at the moment? Um, I don't know, maybe some examples of some projects that you work on or something like that to give us an impression of of what your role is and what you're doing at the moment. So there are two kinds of projects that we do at CF. There's the life sciences work and there's the health system strengthening work. The life sciences work involves working with big pharma to help solve problems uh, that relate to product launch or um, product growth strategies and the health system strengthening projects have to do with working with NHS organizations as the National Health Trust to figure out how can they help solve pressing problems. And I'll give you an example of both. Uh, on the life sciences bit, I did work on a project where the goal was to accelerate the uptake of new drugs. So new drugs are launched into the UK and there are often accusations that the UK doesn't perform as well as other countries uh, with respect to how quickly drugs get to patients who actually need them. And my role was to support in developing a strategy that would help the UK improve how quickly drugs go to the front line. And I did work with a lot of industry leaders mm. to help design an approach or a solution that would help um, resolve that. The other kind of project is basically the, like, the health system strengthening work where we work with NHS trusts or ICBs, that's integrated care boards who often manage the health of a locality or a population or a geographical area. And they are often looking to improve efficiency uh meets the tightening budgets and uh, the need to do more with less and would often support with the creation of sometimes cases for collaboration that would enable one or more trusts to work more closely in a way that uh, maximizes efficiency but also enables them to create more impacts uh, for local population and one of the key things that we often look at is inequality. How can we make sure that everyone, regardless of who they are, are mm. able to get the best care possible from the organizations that are supposed to serve them? Mm. So we put a very great deal of in, uh, inequality into our work, both mm. using data, but also talking to people mm. to uh, collect insights that will help design, define a solution. Use this word impact a lot, and you've used it a lot through this conversation already. It's really nice because I mean, I get the impression you're someone who couldn't just have a Monday or Friday nine to five job you go to for a paycheck, that kind of thing. You come across as somebody who has to have an impact and has to be making a difference for someone. And it kind of sounds like the projects that you work on allow you to do that. I mean, absolutely it does. If it doesn't, I would <laughs> reconsider my time there. I think I. I get joy, and we talked about this word, and I think it's really important to make a joy, both in the moment and uh, in, in the long term, by being able to see that whatever I have done has led to some meaningful change. And I think uh, the, the projects that worked at CF have 
had that, and I'm mm. proud to say that. And I think there's room for us to do even more. Mm. I mean, you mentioned that you've you've worked with kind of governments and you've worked with businesses as well. I'm, I'm kind of interested in though. Are there are there kind of differences working with each? I imagine there's there's different kind of ways of working with government that might not work with business, and ways of working with business that might not work with government. Is it an interesting kind of mix? I, actually, I think the differences are less obvious here in the UK compared to uh, back home in Nigeria. Um, back home in Nigeria, working with the government was a bit more, I would say, interesting because. Uh, it was generally more slow paced mm. and it was generally um, more driven by us in terms of the consultant coming in and saying, let's get this done, let's get it, let's get that done. Uh, we are more or less a bit laid back. Um, yeah, I think I'm allowed to use that word. <laughs> <laughs> and in private businesses, there was like this cram for let's maximize profits, let's maximize time mm. you've got. So there's a bit, there was a bit more drive. But here in the UK, I think it's less so. Uh, mm. One of the projects that I work with, with the clients, they would often be the ones to, let's get this done, let's get this done, let's mm. get that done, let's push where we currently in the work, in work plan and how do we get um, ahead as soon as possible. So I think there's this a cultural difference in terms of how closely aligned government mm. and industry are in the UK compared to Nigeria had come from and I think mm. that's a good thing where government is able to attract top talent mm. uh, that could otherwise have been in industry because I think that was hap- that's what, ha- what happens here in the UK I, I've worked with a bunch of people in, in government who I thought would make excellent uh, careers in private sector but they're comfortable there and I mm. think that's really important for you to build great systems I think it's something that Nigeria should probably consider doing. You need to build a an environment that attracts top talent to work in government, mm. who would then use their energies, their intelligence to create meaningful progress for the population. Mm. I'm going to ask you an impossible question now, and nobody I've asked this question to has been able to give a, a clear answer because it is an impossible question. But what does a typical day in the life for you look like? <laughs> Uh, I, I would say I've worked as here for going on eight months, seven months, and I can't recall any two days <laughs> the same. This is why it's impossible. <laughs> but I, I can give you some general uh, view. I mean, so I wake up in the morning, uh, get ready for work. I work high, in a hybrid manner, so I have to go to work three days a week, and I work remotely from home two days a week. If I have to get to work, if I have to go into the office, I would often have booked my desk in advance because we do have this software to book a desk. Otherwise, you show, you show up and there's no, <laughs> there's no desk. Mm-hmm. And we would have uh, a meeting in the morning to figure out where we will work plan. We often call it a huddle. So it's basically huddling up with your team to figure out what's the plan for the day and how do we get forward. And here we discuss key risks with projects and individual plans and progress on deliverables, which are basically work products. Mm-hmm. And then you would often go off to move on with the key pieces of work that you have to focus on that day. And I, I think a key piece of ensuring that you're efficient and productive is having your own, your own plan. Like 
what am I supposed to do? What's the ultimate goal? And breaking that down into um, discrete pieces of tasks and being aware of what's the milestone I'm going to achieve today. Mm-hmm. And I think an important piece that allows me to do that efficiently is uh, what I would call output focus way of working, which is rather than saying I'm going to do X, Y, Z analysis, I think about it as I'm going to get this answer, this output mm. today. And whatever work I have to do that helps me get to that answer is just a process. But mm. I'm looking at the final output I'm going to get at the end of the day, and that helps me guide my, my, my plan. So I would often move, go out, do research, which could be in the form of collecting a, an insanely large amount of data and building models that would help me figure out what's the trend, what's the pattern, what's the insight from this data and how could this help me shape the answer that I'm trying to give to my clients. And it could also involve um, having discussions or interviews with a wide range of people to collect their opinion. Because I think one of the days when consultants will sit in a very dark space and develop solutions and answers, nobody cares about that anymore. Nobody will take that answer from you. You need to co-create your answer with your clients. So mm-hmm. that often involves um, iterative processes of um, interviews and reviewing the work with your clients mm-hmm. and getting the input into that. So I often that a lot over the course of my day. Uh, and uh, I think it's this bit around 1.30 where I take a walk during lunchtime. I typically skip lunch because I prefer to come back home and eat dinner at home. So in, in place of lunch, I would probably take this short walk around uh, my office around Hammersmith. And it would help me often think about what am I doing today and how does that help me get to where I want to get to in 20, 30 years. Mm. It was a valiant effort, by the way. I appreciate that. That was really good. I, I agree with taking a walk. I do the same thing. Um, obviously, Imperial is based near Kensington Gardens, Hyde Park, and there's nothing better than taking a bit of a break, you know, giving your kind of mind to rest in the middle of the day and going for a walk and just easing off. But yes, I appreciate that. It was a really good effort, so cheers. Um, there's the kind of... Obviously, you've landed in a, in a place where you're happy. You're doing exactly what you planned to do, which is great. And it sounds like you got there intentionally. And and behind you, you have, you've kind of got two things. You've got the MBA that you did, and you also you've got your experience that you had before the MBA as well. And obviously, both of those things are really important. Uh, my question about those things is, first of all, what impact do you think the MBA had on your career path to help you get to where you are? And what do you think your experience before that did to help you get to where you are as well? Because it's it's not kind of either or sometimes, is it? It's it's everything contributes to where you've got to. So how have those things helped you to get to where you are now? So my MBA one, the most direct way my MBA helped me get to where I am currently is linking me up with the person who recruit, who sent in my application because they mm-hmm. went to Imperial as well. So that was the most direct way. But I think beyond that, there was the preparation that went into that, being able to think about what I really wanted to do mm-hmm. and help me create a list and approach my job hunt in a much more strategic and deliberate way. I think the MBA really prepared me for that. And uh, I think secondly, the MBA gave me time to think about really what I really wanted to do and how to how to approach that in a meaningful way. And I think uh, that really helped. Mm. 
And that headspace, you know, just think about what I do, what to do was really helpful. There were a couple of sessions that we had on how to approach job interviews. I think that really helped. And helping you, we had a session with the LinkedIn guys that helped you think about how to curate your LinkedIn profile to be much more attractive to uh, potential employers. I think that was also very helpful in preparing me for landing my job as CF. And how my previous role contributed. I think having coming to a new job with significant experience in consulting mm. is really helpful because then you aren't you already understand how things work. You have some of the skills or most of the skills that will be required. So it's basically adapting to the culture and fitting into the process. I think that was what's left. So being able to demonstrate that I understood how consulting works and I could bring in some key experiences to the role based on what I had done in the past was, I think, a USP to the organization and to myself as well. And I think that really helped. Hmm. I want to talk to you about um, the kind of health sector in general. Obviously, you're someone who has a, a clinical medical background beforehand. You've worked in consulting um, in the sector for a long time. You did your MBA and you're working in a sort of health setting now. What do you think some of the challenges are at the moment that are facing the health and life sciences sectors? I would assume you mean here in the UK, and I'm going to pass that in that context. I we think, can be a bit more global if you want, but yeah, we can focus on, on the UK if you want to. Yeah, so I think in the UK, uh, the three main problems, and I I keep using these uh, frameworks because I think it's really important to be able to organize your thoughts. And I I like it. Before, but I think there are three main issues with uh, the healthcare system in the UK. I think the first is workforce, hmm. both in terms of numbers and in terms of the quality, and I'm going to get to that in a bit. Mm. The second bit of the problem is funding. There's a huge funding gap uh, in, in, in the uh, health system in the UK. And I think the third bit is the processes. And I'll start with uh, talking about the workforce. I think there's a huge workforce gap in the NHS that needs to be solved very quickly, but nobody knows how to solve that because it's going to be really expensive. Mm -hmm. And that frankly, isn't any pool of staff that you could just go grab new staff from. And there are issues with international recruitment because UK is being seen as predatory in terms of taking um, healthcare workers from where they're most needed in Africa, which mm -hmm. isn't the great, greatest thing. So there has to be a sustainable approach to solving the healthcare workforce gap. And I think there's been a few innovative ideas around working, doing that. There's a new um, process in place where people can do an apprenticeship for a while and get qualified as a medical doctor. Mm. Great. There's also um, a lot of subsidies going into med medical education uh, in the UK as well, which I think it's a viable long-term solutions to the workforce gap. But there's also the fatigue and burnout of those who are currently working and that needs to be addressed as soon as possible. Second bit is the funding. The NHS is incredibly well-funded compared to other organizations uh, in the world, but I think there's also a significant gap because of the level of the quality and the targets that the NHS is trying to achieve. Mm. You're trying to run a world-class, highly efficient organization and you need 
the funding to match that and it simply isn't there. Mm-hmm. And the third bit is processes. The NHS has gone through a lot of change over time, uh, introduction of the ICB structure, the integrated care board structure. Uh, I think it's a major step uh, in positive direction to helping create a system that works, that is both connected to a much larger geographical space to make impactful change, but also small enough to connect to the uh, population in that geographical space to understand what they need and be agile enough to respond to population health uh, demands. And I think being able to create processes at the ICB and the ICS uh, level, which is the integrated care system, which is basically the governing body plus all of the partners in that space, I think being able to create a system that helps everyone work in a way that maximizes how well they understand what needs to be done and I do that in an agile and efficient way is a very important challenge that needs to be addressed. Mm. What do you think the future looks like? I think the future looks great. I think um, we would be able to solve these challenges in the uh, medium term. I would say short term, I think in the medium term. And I think there would be a point where people would be happy. And I think they currently are, but they'd be happier with the quality of service that they receive. And the healthcare system will be a bit greater uh, than currently is in terms of how it addresses people's needs and uh, how it contributes to improved population health, both in terms of acute need, but also in terms of long-term care. Uh, personally, in terms of what the future looks like, I think the future looks great as well. I think I'm on a path where I can see myself doing things that i currently doing that helps me get to where I really want to get to. I think I have a very clear vision or path for myself. And if I keep doing what I'm currently doing, Keep getting better every day. Mm. I see a very clear path to a future where um I can look back and say, yeah, I lived and I was able to achieve the things I really wanted to do, and I helped make someone's life better. As we've been talking, I've been writing down words that come up regularly as we've gone. I'm going to give you some of those words. Uh, first of all, we have joy. That's came up a lot. You said impact a lot. You've you've sort of hinted at patience and, you know, um, having clarity and deciding where you want to go and taking your time. So that's really good. You've mentioned making a difference and having an impact on people. You come across as somebody who has a really strong set of values. Do you Would you agree with that, first of all? Um, and do you, how do you think those values have helped, helped you to get to where you are? And what... What do you think the importance is of having a really strong set of values that guide you in where you want to go? I think the importance of values cannot be overstated. I had my value system instilled in me by my mom. Uh, I think I grew up with a single mom who was very conscientious. Uh, I think that rubbed it for me because I realized that you cannot be successful, both personally and professionally, Mm-hmm. unless you cultivate a strong sense of value system. Mm-hmm. And I think I've tried to do over the years. And one of the key words words are integrity, conscientiousness, diligence, whatever you're going to do, you need to make sure you do it as 
well as possible, regardless of what happens, regardless of who's looking or who's not looking. Mm-hmm. And if you say something, it needs to be taken as gospel. People need to believe that whatever you've said, you're going to do, you're going to do it. And mm-hmm. they need to have that trust in you. And I think that's one of the key pieces to uh, creating a happy and meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And uh, the diligence to uh, approach whatever you do, no matter how mundane it is, you need to be able to do it as well as you possibly can. I think that's really important. Those values come across really strongly. So um, if you don't mind me saying, I think your mom did a great job. <laughs> Just Yeah. Um, final yeah. question for me. Uh, it's a question I ask every guest on this podcast. Uh, what advice would you have for current students who are looking at your journey and um, looking at the things you've did, maybe want to do something similar? What advice would you have for them? Well, I would say one, just take a step back and enjoy yourself. <laughs> Good advice. The the most important things I and I would find that many people would believe this to be true is in the day-to-day classes. Is it it's missing a seven a nine o'clock class hmm. or a 4 p.m. class is in the end of the world. I think being able to enjoy yourself while you're there is really, really important. And I think Imperial MB had, has designed a program that allows you to just that. There are lots of experiences, very rich experiences that you can build on. I think that's really important. I think the second bit of advice is to leverage all of the resources that are available to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to describe these resources in three, three, three fours. The first are your colleagues and the faculty that an incredible resource to you both in terms of enriching your personal life, getting exposure to different types of cultures. And I think you, as a current student, you should really, really lean into that. The second bit is the wider imperial community. And I think a lot of people miss this. Some people get enclosed in the IB world and they forget Mm -hmm. that there's a much broader um, society community out there the imperial college community and i think that provides you with significant opportunity to broaden your horizon i'll give you one example i during my stay at imperial i did have a conversation with uh someone in the engineering department mm-hmm. uh, we had coffee and within the space of a very short time i was able to design or develop a business idea that i thought could potentially be handled at some point in my life from that conversation. And I think if I ever look to pursue that route, that's someone I would have to talk to to help for a partnership to get it done. And I think there's a lot of resources beyond just the IP community that you can leverage within the Imperial Business um, College as a whole. And the third, I would say, is of course, study the distinctions if you want. <laughs> uh, but think when you learn each concept, you need to think about how do I build this into my life in a way that is just beyond passing the exams. How do I use this in my day-to-day life, my career, and my path? And I give you one very solid example. I think the module organizational behavior for me was by far the most important module I had taken in my my MBA. Because each session, I would often approach it with the mindset of how do I learn this concept to improve me as a person? 
and not to be able to write an essay and submit at the end of the day. Mm. I think being able to come up your lessons with that mindset that I'm not, I'm not going to study to pass an exam. I'm going to figure out how to learn these concepts mm. to help me improve myself. I think that's really important and it gives you a different outlook when you study. Because sometimes it can get really grilling the classes, you know, the first mm. two semesters are crazy <laughs> oh yeah it's not easy it's definitely not easy uh thank you for that it's really good advice stanley it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and i really appreciate you taking the time out to join me absolutely chris thank you so much for having me i think something that's immediately clear after this conversation is that you can't talk to stanley without coming away with a smile on your face he comes across as such a nice guy and i think that's testament to the values that he very clearly lives his life by those words that came up again and again really give you an insight into who he is as a person. Impact, helping people, making a difference, and my personal favourite, joy. Joy is something that's easily forgotten when it comes to work, and Stanley shows us that it's possible if you have a strong value system that you live by. It's clear from his story that he knows what matters most to him in work and in life, and everything he's done over recent years has been in line with it. From looking for what he called headspace and seeking to build his network through his MBA, to working in the healthcare and life sciences sectors in his professional life, he's carved out a career in which he feels like he can make a difference and help people. And if you have strong values that can guide you as you move forward, then I can see how that can lead you to really find joy in what you do. Thank you again to Stanley for sharing his story and giving us such a brilliant note to end the series on. I've been Chris Roberts, and thanks for listening.